Abby Kinney, and you are listening to Upzoned. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Upzone, a show where we take a big story from the news each week that touches the Strong Towns conversation, and we Upzone it. We talk about it in depth. I'm Abby Kenny, an urban planner at Gould Evans in Kansas City, and joined today with me is Chuck Marone, founder of Strong Towns. Hello, Chuck. Hey, how you doing? Pretty good. I hope you had a nice Easter. I had a gorgeous Easter. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think I mentioned last week the program that I it, it was on like pre-Easter and it kind of prepares you in a sense to fully enjoy and appreciate the whole Easter experience. And yeah, that was one of the most um, meaningful Easter's that I've had in a long time. So I hope yours wow. was nice too. Yeah. It was, it was pretty cold and rainy here, but it was nice. I got to <laughs> hang out with my sister and hopefully you were able to eat some sweets, maybe some Mountain Dew. I have gone 90 days without uh, desserts and sweets. And I, yes, I I have had more than my fill. And in fact, I think I'm going to throw some in the garbage <laughs> because I've had a little, I think like I was better off without them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be a good habit to keep, keep going. That's yeah, I think sure. if I could maybe, you know, go not to zero, but to like maybe one a week or two a week. So that would, that would help. But yeah, too many Reese's peanut butter cups. Let's just put it that way. They're pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. That's good stuff. (laughs) Well, especially those Easter ones. For some reason, when you put a Reese's peanut butter cup in a normal peanut butter cup, it tastes good. But when you put it in an egg shape, like the proportion of chocolate to peanut butter is just somehow better. And I don't know. They're, it's all about I'm, the holiday I'm, shapes. It is. Yeah, I'm going to get rid of the ones I have that are extra. So, yeah. Send them my way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess this is somewhat of an article. It's really a blog piece that we're covering today that's published in Pedestrian Observations by Alone Levy. By it's, and it is entitled, The Solution to Failed Process Isn't More Process. So the piece digs into a critique of the U.S. Department of Transportation's Equity Action Plan, which was published in January of this year. The author says it suffers from the same fundamental problem of American governance, uh, notably at the federal level, that everything is about process rather than actual visible outcomes. So they note two major red flags in the document with serious implications for how the USDOT views its mission. The first is the focus on contractors. So the author notes that the document focuses very little on how to be more equitable to users of public services rather and rather focuses mostly on DBE and MWBE uh, programs, which ensure a percentage of professional, business. Yes, yeah. percentage of professional work um, goes towards minority or women-owned businesses. And the second is that um, is the issue of process for the sake of process. So the action plan recognizes the current inadequacy of public engagement as a paradigm, noting that public meetings are inherently inaccessible for some, among other issues, and says that basically adaptive engagement strategies, though more resource intensive, 
should be pursued for projects moving forward. The author notes that the proposed solution just accretes more process for its own sake and critiques community engagement really generally, noting that meeting dynamics really just favor loudness um, and agitation, a lot like social media does. And they also bring up that conventional engagement doesn't actually add much to the goal of creating better or more equitable outcomes in the transportation space. So these are two important points that I think have a lot of validity behind them. One of the things that I thought was interesting is that the, the author really desired a redirection on the is- issues, which would look like the abolition of the current approach entirely in favor of top-down state action informed <laughs> <technocracy>. by yeah. <laughs> yeah, informed by academic research of ethnographers <laughs> to create yeah. universal design standards. So I thought this piece was really interesting because I feel like it is both very much aligned with how uh, the Strong Towns Network might critique the equity action plan. But at the same time, the proposed alternatives are deeply anti-Strong Towns. I mean, is yeah. that your take on this, Chuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- this this particular website is interesting because uh, a lot of the stuff that's been published there has been very critical of Strong Towns. So when you suggested this article this week, I thought, oh, this is this is great because there's a lot in here that I inherently think is like great criticism and great critique. But yeah, the idea that we would govern ourselves in the United States with a technocracy run by, you know, the science and technical minded. I mean, it's it's an absurdity that recent times have demonstrated its absurdity. But let's let's go to the two critiques because I I think that they are really valid. And the first one is, you know, that by focusing on well, let's let's say this in a macro way on both specific critiques. By having your equity goals be laundered through a federal bureaucracy, what you get are the things that federal bureaucracies can do, right? You you don't get you and me having a conversation. You don't get understanding. You don't get mutual respect in a neighborhood level and at a community level. You don't even get projects that respond to people's needs. What you get is what bureaucracies are really good at. The author points out two things. Um, the first one is you know this idea that we would require a higher percentage or spend more time nurturing minority-owned businesses so that you know the the oligopoly of large businesses that get federal contracts have to maybe have an easier time of finding partners that they can bring in. It doesn't really change the power dynamic. Anyone who's worked on projects like this uh, recognizes that it, it adds a lot of costs. It, it might help some people. Sure, I'm not going to deny that. But it's not like a flip over the chessboard, rearrange the, the economic dynamics, solve you know the racial wealth gap kind of policy. To me, it's a veneer that we put over top of federal spending to kind of make ourselves feel like we're doing something. Uh, that That's maybe a really extra harsh critique, but I I think you would be hard pressed to find ways that this has really moved the needle in disadvantaged neighborhoods. I'm sure there's exceptions to that, but as a, as a broad statement, you know, we've been doing this type of policy for many, many, many decades, and we still see these inequities persist. And, and so I, 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 you know, I'm comfortable saying, I don't think this is how we move the needle on the equity that the DOT is trying to address. 
the, the other part on on public process is you know that that's what DOTs do. That's what bureaucracies do is they create more process. And you know it's it's like the solution for bad engagement is more engagement. And I just struggle with this because you can show up to Shreveport and have bad engagement and you will get a bunch of people, you know, you will get a bunch of black people in a black, historic black neighborhood standing up saying, we don't want this project. And then you can have good engagement and you will get the same people and maybe a few more people standing up saying the same exact thing. We don't want our house bulldozed for a highway. Maybe there's a nuance of engagement there that would, you know, help people feel more listened to. But I can tell you what would help them feel more listened to. Stop doing this kind of project. What I don't understand and what I don't get is why the USDOT, if they're going to center on equity, and that's the words that they use over and over again, we're going to center on equity, we're going to center on disadvantaged communities, we're going to center our approach, have time and time and time and time again, the money that is flowing through them flow to projects that do destructive things to neighborhoods that are predominantly black, Hispanic, and disadvantaged. I can go through the list for you right now. I can go through the list in Shreveport. I can go through the list in Memphis, in uh, Portland right now, in uh, Houston, in Austin, time and time and time again. And so to me, it's, it's kind of like a silly... I get the intentions and I'm not doubting anyone's intentions. I'm not doubting their sincerity. But at some point, it feels like we need to move beyond the process, bureaucracy stuff, and and actually like have a different answer. And I, I don't think a technocracy is that answer, but we can talk about what the answer right. would look like. Yeah, I felt like the two points, while, you know, it's like there's a lot of truth in both of the points that were made, but in some ways they seem to contradict one another. Because you can look at the overemphasis on contractors and it's easy to see why, you know, just focusing on contractors doesn't necessarily help the end users of a transportation system um, or, you know, primarily a transit system. And that equitable policies around the technical, you know, hiring people within the technical and professional and business owning class doesn't necessarily translate to solving issues of people that are outside of that world in a meaningful or at least at the very least measurable way. There's not a clear line between those two things. I totally see what what the author is saying about that. However, this idea that uh, that therefore the outcome that we should be pursuing is to like shut out people, you know, like not have engagement with the general public because they don't that they, they can't give us meaningful feedback and that all the decisions should be done by this technocracy. It's like, I feel like those two things contradict one another, which is what I didn't understand about really the, the end of the article and the suggestions that are being made. Because while I, I think it's, I think it's easy to, that we can all kind of agree on the critiques and the problems with, with this document that's been put out. I don't know that the answer to these issues is to therefore not engage with communities and leave it to a professional class to solve solve all of the problems. Well, let's go through. I've got the equity action plan from the U.S. Department of Transportation. 
you know, when it comes to wealth creation, what they want to do is increase USDOT direct contract dollars to small disadvantaged businesses. I'm going to just say that small disadvantaged businesses are small and disadvantaged because of the size of the projects that DOT does. If, if you're doing a $100 million project, it is really hard to be a guy with a backhoe and uh, you know two end dumps and be a meaningful part of that project. You could be a token part of that project, and a lot of times they are token parts of those projects. And okay, maybe there's some like overall advantage to that. I think if we went back 30 or 40 years, the case for that is stronger than it is today. But what would be more meaningful is to have a lot more projects where a firm, a small and disadvantaged firm with a, a backhoe and a couple end dumps could actually compete because it was scaled to their size. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, the other thing it makes me think of is like the modeling softwares and all of these programs that are required to actually carry out giant projects. A lot of like small engineering firms are not necessarily going to have the resources for some of the things that are, that are required of such a large project. And are these large projects even helping anyone anyway? I mean, they're, they're helping people, you know, save a few minutes on their commute, but could that money be diverted in a way that, that actually helps safety in people's lives and actually impact, like improves communities? This is my point. Let's assume sincere objectives by everybody, right? Let's assume that we all share the, the same objectives in terms of an equity outcome that we would like to see. What is the best way to get to that equity outcome? Is it to A, have large projects run through a large bureaucracy that as part of that process says to the very large firms that are not minority owned and not disadvantaged, but actually privileged by that system, tell them you have to go out and find some businesses that are disadvantaged and bring them into your partnership as part of this project. We could do that. We could B, have a technocracy run this and decide, I don't know how they would do it, assemble firms and put them together. Or we could C, have a different set of projects that are actually sized and scaled to not only advantage the smaller competitors, this ecosystem of small disadvantaged businesses, put them on uh, a, a, almost a favored status because they're the ones who are actually scaled to do these types of projects. But it would simultaneously be the types of projects that our cities actually need. It, it would actually be the things that our neighborhoods need right now to be successful. We don't need $100 million projects. We don't need billion-dollar projects. We need a lot of $10,000, $20,000, $50,000 projects, which the dude with the, uh, the backhoe and the two end dumps is like in a perfect position to do. So to me, I like, let's agree on the objective, but how do you go about doing it? I don't think the DOT can actually do it effectively with the system they have. I think they need a new way of delivering projects. And I actually don't think that that is a federal top-down way. Yeah, because these sorts of issues are not necessarily federal. I mean, they shouldn't be administered at the federal level anyway, right? And I think no, that- No, because what we need is our sidewalks and yeah. street trees <laughs> and, and things that the, the guy with the end dump and, and the backhoe would be like in a perfect position to deliver at scale in a neighborhood, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like my stop sign that I've been wanting for years and years, which by the way- got installed this week. 
<laughs> and that's a perfect project for for a small group to do. And I think that that also gets to the point around uh, the point about engagement and whether or not it's actually helpful to a project because I can totally understand why, you know, a giant highway project there just isn't there isn't the same kind of benefit that you would get from from local knowledge and feedback from a community that actually would change the outcomes of what is already being planned to happen, right? Right. Let me go into that because in this plan, it, it's one of the planks is power of community. And here's a performance indicator. We want to increase the number of meaningful and representative public participation engagements held by MPOs and state DOTs in the development of transportation infrastructure plans. If you go on to the next page, interventions, they want to increase the number of new projects in disadvantaged communities. Now, I'm going to say those two things together are, are a recipe for disaster in places that are disadvantaged. The, the right, last... like what kinds of projects? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I would be concerned if I was living in a disadvantaged community about that statement. Yes, here's a struggling neighborhood. And we look at that struggling neighborhood and we say, we're going to give you more money through this federal system. And because of that, you know, the, the scale of the project is going to be very big. What is the big project that you need in this neighborhood? And I can guarantee you that, you know, politicians locally, uh, at the state level, what have you, with all good intentions and with all sincerity, would go about and find a project that they need or that they want and that they can, you know, sell as being, okay, this is how we're going to help this neighborhood. And, and you and I have seen them, right? We're going to get an interchange here. We're going to get a frontage road here. We're going to get whatever. And that will allow us to get the... Uh, you know, the, the big box grocery store and the quick trip and the um, McDonald's and the what have you. This is a delivery system of white suburbia that we're trying to, instead of dismantle and say, th this was a huge mistake, we're trying to now retool, put a veneer on and say, let's apply this to these struggling neighborhoods. And as someone from a small town, this is exactly what has happened to small town America. What's happened to small town America is that we've come in and said, um, you guys need to adopt the development pattern of suburban America. We're going to give you money to do that. And we run the highway through the middle of the city. We put the asteroid belt out on the outskirts. We got the downtown and we create this like local oligarchy where, you know, all the local businesses are, are gone. And now we have Walmart and Costco and all the big players. And the capital in our community just gets sucked out. If that's the vision for black neighborhoods in urban cities, if that's the vision for Latino neighborhoods, if, if that's the vision that we have for our poor struggling places, I, just stop, like go away. I don't think that helps at all. Now, if you're telling me that the approach here is going to be to scale it to what the neighborhood actually needs, right now, what would help people right now today make their lives better, get up on their feet, get doing stuff, create their own economy, their own ecosystem, their own like help network. Show me what that is. Cause I'm, I have never seen it. I've never seen it imposed from the top down. And I don't see anything in the project delivery process that gets us that. 
I see a lot of things that make us feel better about ourselves in terms of engagement and the percent of businesses that we can, you know, launder money through too. But I don't see meaningful changes in people's lives. And I feel like that's what the author is getting at too. So in that, we totally agree. Yeah, I can totally agree with that. However, you know, this idea that that local knowledge to the extent that it even exists is not important, I think is wrong. I mean, I, I just don't, I don't agree with that in a really deep way um, because I do think that local knowledge is incredibly important, but it just doesn't fit into the current, uh, I, I guess I'll say transportation funding industrial complex that we have. <laughs> and I don't know that shutting out public input and local engagement from these processes is the right thing to do. I mean, you want to abolish something, it's like, what about kind of this whole, this top-down approach to actually funding transportation improvements? So the last paragraph in the article starts with, the community meeting as a source of knowledge for the state is a social stain wherever it is tried, and it impacts disproportionately fall on women, young minorities, queers, and immigrants. I think that as an observation, that's hard to argue with, right? Because the idea that uh, powerful players within the system would position themselves and their interests ahead of everybody else's, and that public input would just be a mechanism to kind of enable that, I think is is really true. How would that change with the technocracy, right? You, you would just like remove the veneer of caring, right? Right. This because this because that would assume that like a tech a technocratic approach is infallible and it's shielded from all of the bad traits of human nature that you know we might attribute to a more capitalist industrial complex whatever we, we want to call it as if an elite class of technical experts can somehow transcend all of that and this impulse to be to become oppressive um, or be wrong about something i mean just because you're a technical expert doesn't mean that you're always right about things i mean we're all humans so i just i, I just reject that notion that we can just have a bunch of experts solve all of our problems and we just don't need public or public input or local knowledge and that that will somehow lead to more equitable outcomes. Let's put the contrast of what the actual like strong towns approach to this problem would be because here here again in this last paragraph the author writes, you know, an equity action plan, the one put together by the TOT that understands at least some of the problems created by the process cannot bring itself to recommend its abolition in favor of top-down state action. So the, the strong towns analog or the strong towns antidote to this problem, we, the author and, and we agree on this problem. We're seeing the problem the same. One solution being proposed here is top-down state action, a technocracy. The way that which, I which, would approach by the way, it, could you imagine Pete Buttigieg coming out oh and saying, gosh. "We yeah. are <laughs> we have all public input from now on. It's just going to be you know Congress and the corporations and the bureaucracy deciding where this money, what projects are." Yeah, <laughs> no, it would yeah, be, no, there would be a riot. But let's forget about the um, you know how out of touch this is with I think just human experience here in the U.S. What would a strong towns you know, approach B. And what I would say is we actually need to, um, I'll, I'll, I'll say this in a very provocative way, I would defund the DOT. I think that this, the Federal Department of Transportation was 
very helpful in building the interstates. That help ended in the late 60s, early 70s. Since then, I feel like this, the federal DOT has not really done that much that has been helpful that states could not have done better. And today, you know, maintaining the interstate system, great. Maintaining, you know, maybe ports to a degree or interstate travel. I can see a role for Amtrak. Um, but the reality is the state, I mean, we just passed a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. $800 billion plus of that is going largely to expand highways. Why? Like what, what, what purpose does that serve? And if it serves a purpose, what purpose does it serve that states could not do better? The strong town solution to this is a tighter feedback loop. It's not that public engagement is perfect. It's not that public engagement is wonderful. It's not that public engagement always works. I've written many articles about how it fails and it fails disastrously. But where it does work and where it does help is when the feedback loops are tight and small. When it's a public hearing with a mayor and a city council member and people actually know each other to a degree that you just can't get with federal policy. And that's, is that a perfect system? No. Is that always going to be the most equitable? No, absolutely not. But what it has is a corrective mechanism that responds to people more closely as opposed to responds to the sensitivities of an overall system, which is what I see now is, you know, we had to pass, in order to get $8 billion of equity funding, we had to pass a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. That is an insult to anyone who thinks that, you know, equitable outcomes in local communities is a priority. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Uh, interesting stuff. And I think I, I have a hard stop coming up here. So I think we'll leave it there. I appreciate that. Um, but before we get done, it is time for the down zone, which is the part of the show where we can share anything that we've been up to these days, anything we've been reading, watching, listening to. So Chuck, I'll throw it to you. What have you been up to? Well, I have spent uh, three months without watching TV. And so uh, I, I went back and I'm like, there's a bunch of shows that came out uh, over the last three months that I really wanted to see. I, I want to see Yellowstone. I haven't watched it yet. And I started it this week and it's such a great, the fourth season. Uh, I just watched the first episode. It's so good. Um, I, I've really enjoyed Better Call Saul. And I know that that started up this week too. So I was like, eh, you know, and then I, I think the most, the coolest one, so, so you're getting my vibe here, like a candy yeah. binge while I'm watching TV. Yes, that's been me a little <laughs> bit this week. I'm going to get off of that next week. But uh, my home basketball team, the Minnesota Timberwolves, have been in the playoffs and it's been just a ton of fun. We, we have been terrible for so long and we finally have a team that is somewhat exciting. So they're playing the Memphis Grizzlies. And uh, as you and I record this, the series is tied 1-1. Uh, there's a game tonight. We'll see what happens. By the time people listen to this next week, we'll kind of have a little bit better sense of who's going to win this series. But as a as a as a longtime Timberwolves fan, it's kind of fun to be somewhat relevant again, at least for one season. <laughs> well, I'm very happy for you. <laughs> um, well, actually, this one's kind of a weird one for me. But this week, I've been watching all of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Oh, yes. <laughs> So I was too young to really understand the movies when they first oh came out. Gosh. I remember as a kid watching them and uh -huh. like completely not understanding the plot. Like I was just too young. It was too complicated. 
Yeah. Um, but I did like, I like the fight scenes. I like the idea of pirates and, you know, it's a lot it's a, of action. Yeah. 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 They're, they're beautifully shot, beautifully done movies. Um, so I've actually been watching them. And by the way, this has nothing to do with whatever has been going on in the news. I have not read of Depp? that. Yeah. yeah somebody either. was asking me, Oh, is it because of that? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I don't know what's going on with that. Um, because I don't really follow Johnny Depp or, like Hollywood news. So I don't know. Um, yeah. But I have been watching the movies and, and they, they're they just so good. And I think I'm obsessed with Pirates of the Caribbean. And I did not think I would be that person. It's a very good franchise. It was, it was very fun. And I know that they're relaunching it now and they're going to relaunch it without Johnny Depp. And we'll see, we'll see how that works. Yeah. That'll I'm, be kind of weird. Yeah. It will be weird. Google insists that I should be really interested in Johnny Depp because it keeps, you know, <laughs> trying to get me to click on an article about Johnny Depp and I refuse to do it. Um, but I will say, however troubled he is and his wife and whatever's going on, the guy is like of our generation, one of the most dynamic, amazing actors. I mean, just yeah, yeah. to bring, you know, characters across this broad spectrum of people to life. Um, you know, there's, there's few characters more iconic than Jack Sparrow, you know, just so yeah, good. And he plays so many different characters where you don't really think of him as Johnny Depp at all. I mean, there's just, there's so many movies that he does and where, where he really is the character. And a lot of actors, I think, kind of play themselves. Like they, they play the same role again and again, and it's always kind of the same personality. Um, and a variation on a theme, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. And so Johnny Depp's characters are always um, something different and not him necessarily, or or not the same kind of character repeated, which I appreciate and think is really interesting. Yeah, even their subtle mannerisms are different, right? Yes. Like yeah. every, everyone has certain tics and mannerisms that define who they are. And when Johnny Depp plays a character, those mannerisms disappear and transform into whatever the character's mannerisms are. And yeah, it is. Um, it is I mean, that's really, kind of amazing, right? Like it is that, amazing. that's a yeah. serious skill that yeah. I don't think a lot of actors um, possess. So it, it, it's what makes him, you know, I, I I do think one of like the the greatest of a certain group. Of actors, and we'll we'll see. I mean, I don't know. I I hope that whatever personal problems he has are worked out, and uh, you know what have you. Because I'm I'm kind of like, it's a little bit like that athlete that is a jerk, but is so awesome that you really want to watch him play. You know, <laughs> and you're yeah. like, well, I, I feel guilty about like cheering for like watching this spectacle in the arena because I know this guy like you know is kind of a jerk. But there's a part of me that, you know, wants to watch another Johnny Depp movie because he is such a gifted, uh, a gifted actor. Yeah. And honestly, I just don't, I've never been the type of person that keeps track of like Hollywood. I oh, don't come know. on. Just None stuff, of that? Like, well, just no like Kardashian the pers stuff? personal, no, really. I'm, I'm just, it's not <laughs> oh, really an interest of mine. So and, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I love movies, but I just, yeah, I you know, I may, hopefully it's not something really bad. Maybe I should check. <laughs> I'll get in I, trouble uh, after this. But um, I, yeah, I really I like the Beatles. Care, really. I have um, all these books on the Beatles and I've never read any of them because I started to read one and it kind of ruined it for me. Oh, really? And so I, yeah. Like, I don't want to know 
that day tripper is about drugs. Like I thought it was about a woman that he met, you know, and there's like, oh no, it's about smoking marijuana. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to read any more of these because to me, they mean something for me because they're art. <laughs> like, I don't want to know what the artist meant because I don't know. I'm selfish. I like, I like you produce great art. I enjoy it. I love it. I pay homage to the artist. Um, but I love it because of what it means to me in my life, you know, which maybe that's selfish. I don't know, but I kind of feel that way yeah. about Johnny Depp. Like I, I hope that his life has peace and meaning and and love and joy. I don't want him to be in anguish, but I also want him to produce another movie for me that is incredible. Yeah, and at the same time, I do not know him. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. No, it's I like, don't, and I yeah. don't care to read about his divorce proceedings and his fight with his wife and like. You know, <laughs> it's like I don't. I do not know him, and he does not know me, and right. uh, so I don't know. It's like we're busy. Everybody's busy. I just, yeah. I don't know. It's, there's only so many things you can focus on. Upzone will never come become TMZ. You're saying <sighs> not while <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Um, it may become the, the alien yeah. story hour, well, that's but your not, celebrity news of the week. Yeah. yeah could you imagine? Oh yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Chuck. Well, um, thank you very much for joining me. And thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of UpZoned. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Thanks. Thanks, Abby. Take care.